You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. What is up, ladies and gentlemen, for a new show of The Weekend Crunch? I am your host, Errol Marks, and my co-host, Connecticut Wonder himself, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World's Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, it is Christmas time. Christmas time. Christmas time. We're ready. Are you ready for Christmas? It is Christmas. I am. Did you get your I Christmas absolutely. presents? As our family got older, we don't have the same level of the motivation to get up like super early and do all that stuff. Oh, but so you do it super late. Afternoon we do it, but yes. Opening gifts, there's a lot of them still. Apparently most of them are for my father, which is interesting. Mm. It's a little different this year, but we'll see. Daddy gets paid a lot, baby. He's yes. the one that gives you the gifts because he's got all the money and mom is wrapping them because she's the stay home mom you know what i mean uh, but she uh, was and so was one of my brother's girlfriends was wrapping them a lot too so. so look at that women are good for something i'm just kidding ladies but a great time christmas obviously today and then obviously in about a week it's new year's new year 2022 for the weekend crunch and all the stuff that we do throughout our network so we're very happy to be here we're very happy for another full year to represent sports media, Long Island sports, New York sports, here on a Long Island radio station. So we're very happy to be here. We have a great show lined up for you guys tonight. We will get into a lot of conversation with a New York Mets editor sacrificing his time to come on our show. He has a lot of fun with us. We will be talking to Mets Mirage writer and editor Matt Musico. He will be joining us. It'll be a very, very interesting thought on what he thought Lindor did in his first year with the New York Mets because he was very highly praising him when he was traded to the New York Mets and then got that $340 million contract, which I think in the long run will be regrettable for the New York Mets. But who knows? Maybe he thinks he's another Carlos Beltran. I'm sure he'll bring that up in the conversation. But anyways, we will get into a lot of football. We will do our three-for-all picks of the week. Where are we at right now? Nobody got any points last week, so you are still up by two. No, and we have uh, very few more weeks left. If you guys listen to our sports loudmouth show, Jeff likes to brag about his winning picks. He's five ahead of me, and the only reason why is he doesn't pick any ones that not make sense. He takes the exact picks that Vegas picks, so good for you, Jeff. For those who have listened to this show for a while, he's the sports loudmouth version of Eric Coleman. Yes, absolutely. So, And he will not be on the show, so thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so we will get into the Jets, the Jets' wondrous quarterback, Zach Wilson, will be facing his predecessor. They will be compared to one another for a very, very long time. And Speedy, who is his predecessor? Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence this week. Trevor Lawrence with practically his whole team. Not a great team, but his whole team going to play. And Zach Wilson with practically nobody. That is going to play this week. So, uh, well, at least Trevor Lawrence doesn't have one notable person. That was his head coach for most of the year. Well, that's also true. So Trevor Lawrence will have a backup coach. We'll have the better team. We'll see what Zach Wilson could do with the third dairy or secondary players that are on the team. 21 players out. There has to be about four coaches out. So they're COVID-like over there. I guess everybody has come down with COVID. So the Jets are going to be playing with really bad players, but they haven't looked good all season long. So I can't wait to watch this team for a whole game for three hours of Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson 
throwing to nobody. So that'll be fun. We will get into the Giants and where they go. They got a big game this week, which they're probably going to lose. The New York Giants having a lot of woes and a lot of thoughts of where the Giants are going moving forward in the offseason. We will definitely get into that. We had a lot of conversation last week about the Giants and Daniel Jones and where they're going to go in the offseason when it comes to possibly a new GM. We'll get into the baseball. Our own thoughts with the New York Mets. Some of the opinions on what they could do after the lockout, maybe bringing a Chris Bryant in, which they're one of three teams heavily favored to getting him. So that's going to be interesting. The Yankees with their young shortstop Volpe, uh, a lot of talks that the Yankees might be calling him up spring training, adding him to the top 40 roster, which he would be the youngest shortstop to come in on a Yankees roster since Derek Jeter. So maybe he's the spark that the Yankees need. Volpe could make the team this year, so we'll get into that a little bit later as well. Hockey, it seems like the strike is going to go on until two weeks into January in 2022, but this could be a good sign for the Islanders because we've seen these COVID breaks. They come back, and they come back strong. So this could be a good sign for the New York Islanders, getting a little time off and hopefully moving into the new year healthy with, obviously, Brock Nelson coming back and then some of their defensive players that have been out for for a significant amount of time. So we'll get into that as well. And also, the New York Knicks. Uh, a lot of trade talks. We saw Kemba Walker come off the bench finally. Thursday coming off the bench scoring 44. Definitely raises his stock when it comes to trading. Let's see if he can continue doing that. If he can continue doing that, in the long run, the Knicks are going to try to move him at the trade deadline and maybe add a decent player for a Kemba Walker. So that could be a good sign for the New York Knicks, and we all know what the Brooklyn Nets are doing. But first things first, let's get into some football. You look at the Jets, and I am a Jet fan, and a lot of people will sit there and say, oh, Errol, you're a homer. I am not. I have predicted everything that was going to happen this year. I didn't think it was going to be as bad as it's been this year. You talk about Zach Wilson. And a lot of people are really down on this kid. He's not good. He's going to be a bust. He's another Sam Darnold. He's another Geno Smith. He's another Mark Sanchez. He's going to be there for a little while. He'll be gone. He'll retire at the age of 28 and go on to maybe doing broadcasting. But I think when you look at Zach Wilson last week, we saw some growth in him. We saw that he can play the game like Aaron Rodgers can, moving inside and out of the pocket, make things happen when there's nothing to throw at. And I know a lot of fans are going to say, well, his feet don't set. He doesn't look safe in the pocket. He looks like he's scared. I would be scared, too, when my offensive line can't block anything. I would be scared that I don't have a wide receiver named Corey Davis, Jamison Crowder, Denzel Mims, Berrios, who's been their best wide receiver really since Moore has been out. When you see the wide receiving core that the Jets have, do you really expect this quarterback to stand in the pocket and believe that these guys are going to actually go up and get the ball? And the answer is no. And Corey Davis got a lot of money from the Jets, not as much as a guy like Kenny Galladay from the, the Giants, but he got a lot of money. He got almost $40 million from the Jets, 29 guaranteed, got a lot of money. And this offseason, he kept saying that he was a number one target. He was a number one guy. The first three games, he looked decent and then fell off. And I don't blame Zach Wilson because of that. It shows you what Corey Davis really is. And to me, he's nothing more than a good red zone target. He's a third option on a good football team. I look at where Zach Wilson is. You can't expect this kid to make these guys better because I don't know if they can make themselves better. And Jamison Crowder, he's a great slot receiver. He's been a great, great player since he's come into the league. Came from Duke. He played for Washington. He came to the Jets in free agency a couple of years ago. Played very well last year. But this year, because of injury, because of the COVID situation, he's just not the same player. And he will be gone 
in the offseason because the Jets aren't bringing him back. They're not re-signing him. They believe that Elijah Moore could be a deep threat slash slot receiver in the future for this team. He's looked better on the outside, by the way. But I think when you look at the big picture of this team, there is no offensive options. And losing Mekhi Beckham, really the whole season, he played the first game, hurt his knee, out for the season. I listened to all these different Jet fans saying that Mekhi Beckham's not any good. Meanwhile, the year before, he was ranked at the end of the season as a top six tackle in football. Now all of a sudden, Jet fans, after he, he missed the whole season, he stinks, he's fat, he's no good, he's worthless. Why don't we just trade him? Get rid of him. And then Elijah Vera Tucker, in the beginning of the season, he didn't really look good. And that was because he had no preseason, coming off an injury, a small injury. Really didn't play that well for the first six games. And then finally figured things out. And if you look at where he's ranked in the top guards in the league, he's a top 10 guard in almost every single statistic in the league as a rookie. So there is some thought on where this team could go and what this offensive line could be in the future if they could stay healthy. The problem is, in the offseason, they need to find themselves a true number one guy. A guy that can go up every single time, get the ball. He could be the blanket for a guy like Zach Wilson if he gets into trouble. And you know that if you throw the ball at him, 90% of the time, he's going to either catch it or make sure nobody else catches it. And that's what the Jets need. To me, the player in the offseason for the Jets to look at, Speedy, is Devontae Adams. Yeah, that would be something if they could somehow land Devontae Adams. I think he's gone from Green Bay no matter what. I wouldn't say they're the favorites to land him, but they have the money for sure. So that's definitely a good option because you're right. Corey Davis, I was never a big Corey Davis fan to begin with, but he actually has looked worse than what I would have thought he would have been. He at least was always a good possession guy, and this year he's had drop problems. He was, like you said, always a good red zone guy. I never thought he was much of a deep threat or a great route runner to begin with, but at least he could have served that role, and he hasn't done that. And Jamison Crowder, he definitely looks old. And when you're a smaller receiver, it always hurts when you get older too, because it's a very speed driven game. And a lot of the older receivers in the league at this point are more size guys, which he really doesn't have. And also Barrios has kind of taken that kind of role too. So yes, if the Jets could solidify themselves with a Devontae Adams, that would be really something. And they definitely have the money to do that. The question is, does Devontae Adams want to play for a team that's kind of in a transitional year and the Jets rebuilding right now, the youngest team in the league, does Devontae Adams want that kind of thing? Because it definitely would be ideal for Zach Wilson and to have somebody that's not only in a experienced offense like the Packers are, but also Matt LaFleur's offense, he's transitioning to his brother, so there have to be some level of similarity to that. So he could transition into that easily. Heavy motion offense, great route runner that Devontae Adams is, the best receiver in football, and arguably the best route runner in football. So that would be, definitely be a big boost. But yeah, these other receivers that they thought would be a lot better in this system really just have looked even down for what they used to be. Yeah, and Elijah Moore has been sensational, but when he started figuring things out, he had five touchdowns. He was averaging close to 100 yards a game for the last five games before he got hurt, and now he's out for COVID. He should be back before the last two games of the season, so we'll get to see him again. What's scary about him is could he stay on the field? Could he stay healthy for 16, 17 games in a season, especially the extended season? So, And then go, get into the playoffs and play the extended playoff. If Elijah Moore could do that, he could be eventually the number one or maybe number two guy for the New York Jets. If they bring it to Devontae Adams and you have Elijah Moore on the other side, you have a dual threat over there that Jets haven't had really since Braylon Edwards and Santonio Holmes, and that's not saying much, let me tell you. So this could be the best dual threat the Jets have ever had. But to me, it's it's more talk right now 
until it happens, there's really no discussion. But there are other wide receivers that are going to be available in the offseason, good wide receivers that the Jets can go after. Maybe they don't have to spend the money that they would have to spend for Devontae Adams. But Devontae Adams, to me, is the pure number one guy you want. He's probably rated the number one wide receiver in football. It doesn't hide that you're playing with Aaron Rodgers. To me, the greatest football player I've ever seen besides Jerry Rice or Tom Brady or Joe Montana. So you look at what he has done sensationally in the last 12 years. He hasn't won the Super Bowls like Tom Brady, but he has been the best quarterback in football, hands down, with the players that he has around him. Not even Tom Brady with the players that he has around him could do what Aaron Rodgers has done. It's been fantastic to watch. If Aaron Rodgers goes elsewhere, which more than likely he will, maybe the Broncos, maybe the Washington football team, who knows where he's heading? Maybe the Giants. So to me, you have to look at the big picture and what Devontae Adams wants. And I know he's very good friends with Derek Carr. Maybe he goes to Las Vegas. But the Jets have the money, and it's definitely a clear option for him if he wants to come to New York and show what he can do on the biggest stage, in the biggest place, in the biggest sports town in the world. Here's the other thing, though, to judge with Devontae Adams, though. He's also grown his own game as well. Yeah, he could say, all right, he played with Aaron Rodgers, too, but he also grew his route running game where he became much more well-rounded than he was at the beginning of his career. It really took him probably three years, four years to develop into the top, top end wide receiver that he is now. I even think him transitioning to another team is still not going to diminish his game too much. I think he'll still be an elite receiver. Whether he stays number one is another question, because yeah, Aaron Rodgers is that good. He's been the best quarterback of the last decade. The Super Bowls don't show but there's a lot of parody in the NFC as it is. Outside of the Seahawks, nobody went to back-to-back Super Bowls in the NFC, whereas the AFC, there's really only a select few teams that go to the Super Bowl just because the conference is top-heavy. In terms of other options with wide receivers, the other two that maybe they could factor in, but they're now riskier than they were thought of at the start of the season, Allen Robinson, because he just had a bad year, Mm -hmm. and then Chris Godwin now with an injury, too. He's going to be entering free agency as well if Tampa doesn't re-sign him, and now he just tore his ACL. So those would be two risks if they don't get Devontae Adams, but they're still talented. And I believe Allen Robinson's definitely a guy that the Jets like. I know Douglas liked him in the offseason, but he took the franchise tag, and I don't think Chicago Chicago's going to refranchise him in the offseason because he hasn't had a good season. So that has a lot to do with the quarterback play. I'm not blaming Justin Fields for all of it. He's a rookie quarterback, and the offensive line has been horrible this year. So I think with him going to a fresh start, a fresh team, a better place, maybe Allen Robinson is the guy that can help Zach Wilson developed the skills that he needs to be a number one quarterback. And now he plays Trevor Lawrence this week, who has had an up-and-down season. He hasn't been very good. He loses his coach. He's now gone, Urban Meyer. So now you look at the big picture. Does he have the better team going into the game? Absolutely, especially with the COVID injuries that the Jets have and the other injuries that they have going into this game. Losing Mekhi Becton was a big loss all season long for the development of this kid. And now you've got to wait until next year to see what this offensive line could be in full. Maybe the Jets add a kneel if he falls to them at four or three because if the Jaguars win this week the Jets fall to the third pick if the Texans win again and the Jets don't win another game this year the Jets can move all the way to the second pick the Jets need offensive line help as much as they need a pass rusher I think Carl Lawson coming back next year is definitely going to help them you could be sitting at seven you could be sitting at five with that other pick then you go after the Purdue pass rusher and it yeah who could be sitting there at five or six for the Jets and then you get your other pass rusher to the other side and then you solidify your offensive line and your defensive line and getting a pass rusher. So the questions are definitely going to be answered moving forward as the season progressively comes to a halt. For the Jets, it's very near coming to an end. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into a little Giants and also we'll do our three-for-all picks of the week here on the Weekend Crunch. 
are back, ladies and gentlemen. A little French Montana. F-W-M-G-A-B. Great track. Check out his new album. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Big Easy, Aeromark, Speedy, Petey in Connecticut. As we are here for Christmas, giving you a show. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, well, well. A beautiful Christmas. We had a little snow on Friday, by the way. I was very surprised. I actually wake up sometimes late at night. I take a walk outside, and I was walking, and, and all of a sudden it started snowing. And it started coming down. I'm like, wow, I guess Santa Claus is coming on a white Christmas. I have no idea. But I don't believe in Santa Claus, by the way, anymore at least. But shout out to all the kids that do. Maybe there is a guy flying with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer singing some Christmas carol songs coming up. And maybe the happiness of Christmas will bring Santa Claus back. But Speedy, I know you believe in Santa Claus. I did until I was probably 12 or 13. I actually had a theory that there were so, like so many of them, like between all the like the mall ones and the parade ones. And all that. I thought there were actually multiple of them, but I did actually for a while. I thought there were some that actually lived up there too, but obviously not anymore now that I'm. Are you a little lost, old. Speedy? Is your brain not moving right today? Maybe you really do believe in Santa Claus. But, anyways, Merry Christmas to all the fans out there that listen to our show. And a happy new year as New Year's Eve is right around the corner. So 2022 is right at the cusp. And I will be 40 this year. Who would have thought I would be 40? Healthy and happy. So hopefully uh, 2022 is even a better year for us moving forward for what we do. And for all the people out there that have had bad years with the COVID-19 situation and everything. Money problems and family problems. I wish nothing but the best to everybody that listens to the show. Let's get back into football. There was a lot to talk about with the Giants last week. And I gave you my reason. Reasons why, for all the Giant fans out there, you should be ecstatic for this offseason. Dave Gettleman is probably either retiring or he's going to be fired. And more than likely, he is going to retire. He's done with football. There's stories coming out that they're already looking for the person that's going to take over for him. I wrote an article. If you haven't checked it out, you go to our website. It's really a funny article. By the way, thank you, Fansided, for not taking the article on. Who cares? Shout out to Fansided that didn't give me the opportunity to write for them for the Giants. But the article is great. If you guys want to laugh and you're a Giant fan, Speedy, you're a Giant fan. You checked it out. You really liked it. And I'm also a big Grinch fan. So there you go. So I think you guys will really enjoy the article we have. And if you haven't checked out our website, you go to the worldwide sports radio.com and you go to the blogs and the newest story on the blog. It's called the Grinchless G-Men. So check it out. It's a really good article. I wrote it. The thing is with the Giants is I think they don't have any leadership. This has been a huge problem for this organization since Tom Coughlin has been gone. And to me, They should have never let go of Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin should still, to this day, in 2021, should be the head coach of the New York Giants. He's the only one that has found a way to beat Belichick on the biggest stage, in the biggest place, with the greatest quarterback, or one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. He's the only guy that's figured that out. And he's done it twice. Not once, but twice in the big game. But not even that. 
Dave Gettleman and the New York Giants organization, the Mara family, the Tisch family, they've brought in these guys that have been a part of the organization for years, and it hasn't worked. I don't understand why the Giants haven't looked out of the box. Bring in a GM that had nothing to do with the organization. Bring in a coach that has no ties to Bill Belichick or Bill Parcells, Tom Coughlin, or anybody that's been working with those guys from this organization. I don't understand it. Now, this team still has bright sides to the other side of the football game. And I say bright sides because there's two different sides. You have an offensive line and a defensive line. The offensive line situation really lies that if Thomas is really the guy, he is the left tackle, he is going to be the future left tackle of this team. This is the guy that's going to protect a Daniel Jones, which Joe Judge believes Daniel Jones is the future of this organization, and he will be the coach next year. So expect Daniel Jones to be starting next year. There will not be a Russell Wilson, a.k.a. Tyler Harrison. There will not be an Aaron Rodgers, a.k.a. Tyler Harrison. There will not be a Deshaun Watson or any of the quarterbacks that are going to be available in the offseason. It looks like as long as Joe Judge is there, he's going to ride with Daniel Jones. But to me, if Thomas is the left tackle, you need to figure out what that right tackle position is going to hold. And if you have two first round, two top ten picks, which more than likely they're going to have, I don't remember the last time the Giants drafted two first round draft picks in the top ten. So, This is a good opportunity to stage what they believe this team is going to be in the future. They need to add a pass rusher. Leonard Williams is not the guy. Dexter Lawrence is a good player. Probably the best pick we have seen Dave Gettleman draft. I think Dexter Lawrence has been sensational. A guy that I didn't think was going to be as good as he is from Clemson. He's really turned out to be a special player. But you look at what this team is as a whole, there's so many holes for this team. And to me, I don't compare him to the Jets because they're both in two different divisions. One's in the AFC East and the other one's in the NFC East. And they never get a chance to play each other every four years. And they play the Snoopy ball in the preseason. Who cares? Right. And if they ever meet in the Super Bowl, which that would be a miracle because both teams stink, that would be fun to watch. Christmas miracle. Maybe that'll be my wish. The Giants and the Jets next year. The Jets being the youngest team in football, and the Giants trying to be one of the youngest teams in football moving forward. But bringing in a GM like a Riddick, like a Pioli, these are the guys that can really rebuild and structure this team to be a successful team moving forward. This has not been a good organization when it comes to drafting. You talk about Dave Gettleman and the free agency market, bringing in Kenny Galladay really flushes whatever he did in the draft of what he did in getting that high draft pick from Chicago, which could turn into a sixth pick in the first round, which is an absolute steal, even though I think Justin Fields could be a good quarterback in the league. I don't know what more to say about this team. They need to fix up the trenches. If you have that, you can easily rebuild through the running game and the wide receiving core that they lack of or don't have much of. Yeah, the Giants are stuck in a difficult position because at least with the Jets, you kind of know that there's a sense of direction. They're the youngest team in football, young GM, young coach, franchise quarterback, rookie quarterback. The Giants are kind of stuck where they tried one thing, then switched to the other. When Dave Gettleman first got there, he was trying to build a team for Eli Manning. He was trying to finally get a running game, drafted Saquon Barkley. He was trying to get certain free agent signings to bolster that defense. They brought in Alec Ogletree. That didn't work. Then at the same time, they also traded Jason Pierre-Paul, which at the time I actually liked because I didn't think he fit in the 3-4 defense. I was wrong. Then the next offseason, they trade Odell. They draft Dexter Lawrence with that pick. Trade for Jabril Peppers. Now all of a sudden, it looks like they're going to get younger. And then they all of a sudden start spending in free agency. They don't move Nate Solder's contract. Overpay for a lot of other guys. Blake Martinez, another one that hasn't stayed healthy. James Bradbury's been fine for his contract, but that's really been it. And Kenny Galladay, like I was saying with Corey Davis, has been awful. But Kenny Galladay is getting 20 plus million more overall than Corey Davis is. So it makes it look a lot worse. And 
You know how many touchdowns he has this year? Zero. Mm. That's a problem. Dave Gettleman's kind of put this in a system where they're kind of stuck in so many different areas. They have some talent in certain areas. I think their interior defensive line is very good. Even if Leonard Williams bounces back to half of what he was in 2020, at least hopefully you can get that. Otherwise, you're not going to have to move that contract too, which now looks really, really bad. Dexter Lawrence, if they can't move Leonard Williams' contract, he might be on his way out too because they might not be able to pay him. Corners are fine too, but beyond that, they really don't have any other definite position units that are really that good right now and you're absolutely right with sticking their ways type thing at what point do you say all right we have to try something different i'm not saying to be like completely out there and do what the jaguars did bringing in urban meyer but at least do something that fits a more modern mold of the nfl and it doesn't seem like the giants have really done that the runner-up if joe judge wasn't gonna be the head coach was matt rule who has ties with the giants organization too now i think rule Hasn't been a great coach this year. I think he's been better probably over the course of the two years than Judge, but by how much? Would that have really made that much of a difference? So they have to look at a different direction and just be a modern team. It doesn't seem like they're doing it. I think Riddick is the perfect guy. I was very surprised they didn't bring him in years ago when they decided to go with Dave Gettleman. They did interview Riddick, and Riddick really wants this job. He's been wanting this job for years. When he does the analyst work, he speaks very highly of the Giants, and I think he's the only one that'll probably keep Joe Judge around if he gets hired. So if They really want to bring in a new GM, bring in a guy like Lewis Riddick. I think he's the perfect fit. I think he's a guy that knows his stuff. He knows a lot about the draft. He knows a lot about this team and this organization and what this team could be in the future if he builds around the two most very important positions to growing a championship competitive team. What the Giants did over and over and over again in the early 2000s in the Tom Coughlin era um, when they succeeded and won. So the Giants have a lot of work to do as well as the Jets do. As far as the league is concerned, I am questioning where a lot of these teams are going. I talk about the Titans. The Titans are 10-5. and five. Last week, they didn't look good. You talk about the Browns, who are right now 7-7, seven and seven, fighting for a playoff spot. They're only a game out of first place right now in that division. The AFC North, Bengals are 8-6. and six. Ravens are 8-6. and six. Steelers are 7-6. and six. The Browns are 7-7. Seven and seven. Every one of these teams, if they lose one game and the other team wins, could move right into first place. So... It's so close, and the AFC is so tight. I could see something crazy happening in the next two or three weeks. Well, the Browns are going to have quite a challenge this week playing against the Packers at Lambeau Field. They were encouraging with all the players that they lost last week against the Raiders. Almost won that game, so maybe that's a good sign. Maybe they can get some matchup advantage. They've stopped the run very well this year, so containing A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. The question is, can their secondary hold up against that passing attack? Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and even the secondary receivers look good last week against the Ravens, who, while they are banged up, still have a pretty good secondary. And also, this week, the Patriots and the Bills face off again, which could essentially decide the division. Between the one seed and the 12 seed in the AFC, they're all within two games. The Jets, the Jaguars, and the Texans are the only ones out of it completely. It's crazy. When they had the list of teams that are completely out of the playoffs, there's only five teams in all of the NFL. There's like three weeks left of real football before the playoffs, and every one of these teams are in it. They could all make the playoffs if something crazy could happen in three weeks. The Ravens could fall completely out. The Bengals right now are first place. They could fall completely out. The Browns could go all the way to first place and sneak into the playoffs with Baker Mayfield's injuries and all the craziness going on when it comes to that team and sneak into the playoffs and win a Super Bowl. It's crazy. With all the woes and all the craziness that's going on in the NFL, 
There's nothing bad to say about what we have seen this year. I think it's been very exciting, the extra game, the extra team making the playoffs. It makes it more interesting when seven teams in the NFC and seven teams in the AFC could go to the playoffs and only one team gets to buy. That, to me, makes it more interesting and gets the opportunity and really shows that number one seed that they deserve to only play two games to get into the Super Bowl. So it's very, very exciting. Speedy, are you ready for our three-for-all picks of the week? Yes. All right, here we go. We will start this week with the... Colts at the Cardinals. The over-under is 48.5. Quentin Nelson is out with COVID this week. Go ahead, Speedy. I was going to take the Cardinals anyway, even if Quentin Nelson was playing in this game. Jonathan Taylor will get his still. The Cardinals' run defense has been bad this year, but it definitely loses a lot without Quentin Nelson, too. And I think the Colts, if there's any flaw with their defense, it's been in their secondary this year. They've played a little better on their winning streak, but I just don't know how long it'll last. The Cardinals, they don't lose this many in a row. They usually bounce back after a, a game they should win like they did losing the Lions last week. So I'll take the Cardinals in this game close. I'll take them on the under. The Cardinals haven't looked good for two weeks. And this is a very important game for them because they need to solidify who they are in the NFC. The NFC is really top-heavy. We talk about the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who lost a big game last week against the New Orleans Saints, getting shut out the way they did. It was unbelievable. Tom Brady's never been shut out like that ever in his career. But when you look at the Arizona Cardinals, I think with the quarterback play and what Kyler Murray needs to do in this game, I think he's going to do enough against a very talented running game, running team, and a Carson Wentz that's having a sensational year. Might be comeback player of the year. Fantastic. So give me the Arizona Cardinals. I have them on the under two. I think it's going to be a very close game. The Cleveland Browns at the Green Bay Packers. The over-under for this game is 46.5. I am going to take the Packers in this game, but I do think it'll be a lot closer than people think. The Packers defense the last two weeks hasn't looked great against the Bears and then against the Ravens without Lamar Jackson last week. The Ravens almost won that game. So their defense starting to show a couple leaks. They might get Jair Alexander back. It seems like he's been rumored to come back the last couple of weeks, but hasn't come back yet. And Cleveland can run the ball. And Baker Mayfield, there's a shot he could play in this game. But I'm still going to take the Packers in this game. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams against a Browns secondary that struggled much of the year. I still think they'll hang on. But I do think it will be close. So I'm actually going to take the Packers here, but I'm going to take them on the over. I don't care if Baker plays, if he's 100% healthy. He's not being in the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay. Going to Green Bay, it's going to be cold. It's going to be riggedy. You're not going to be able to run the ball as well. The ball's going to bounce a lot, especially with the hard ground. Could be snow on the ground. Give me the Green Bay Packers. I love what Aaron Rodgers has done. Even in the closed games, he's been dominating. And to me, I think he is the MVP of the league. He's been sensational, even with the injuries that they've had. Right now, they're the number one seed in the hardest league, the hardest division in all of football. So give me the Green Bay Packers on the over. Yeah, Tom Brady struggles last week. Definitely make him the favorite now. And the last one is the Ravens at the Bengals. The over-under is 44.5. I'm going to take the Ravens in this one. I can't see them losing four games in a row. I know they've had all these injury issues, but I think at some point they've played close in all of them. I think at some point the luck has to turn their way. The Bengals secondary hasn't looked great, and the Ravens were still able to get some big plays last week with Tyler Huntley. So even if Lamar Jackson does come back, I can see them trying to still trying to stretch the field on them. The Bengals have stopped the run very well, but the Ravens really haven't run the ball much either, except with their quarterbacks anyway. And Cincinnati's offense has been kind of streaky in the second half of the season. So I'll take the Ravens. They split the season series. I'll take them on the under. I like the Ravens in this game too. This game going to be a fun game to watch. I think being that the Ravens are pushed to possibly lose four games in a row, I can't see Lamar Jackson coming back and not showing what he could do on the field. He needs this win. They need to move back in first place. This is their chance. This could really solidify who's in first place and who could be a borderline wildcard team. Give me the Ravens. I want to take them on the over, but I think this is going to be a low-scoring game and, and the Bengals didn't really score a lot last game. So give me the Ravens on the under as well. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, our free-for-all picks of the week. 
So keep tact to what we're doing here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network and the Weekend Crunch on 103.9. It hasn't been very good for our picks the last couple weeks. It's been very, very close with me and Speedy, but of course I'm in the lead. Tyler Harrison, who can't keep up with me. The Beav in his picks can't keep up with me. And the only person that's bragging right now is the biggest mouth of them all, and that's Jeff from Tampa, who calls the Sports Lab shows. Can't preach enough on how well he's made his picks, but anybody can make Vegas picks and pick exactly what Vegas is picking and expect to win. So, I still have a chance. I have three more weeks. I have a chance this week. I think I picked two different ones than him, so I have to win on both of them. I had the biggest win last week with the Indianapolis Colts against the Patriots, but he likes to brag that the Browns the Browns should have won. Just choked defensively at the end, and Miles Garrett didn't show you why he is going to be the defensive player of the year, because I don't think he will. T.J. Watt is. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have our special guest. We will be talking to Mets Marais, writer and editor, and friend of the show, Matt Musico, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Errol Marks, and my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World. Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to WWSRN on, or you can go to the Android and go to the search bar and put in Worldwide Sports Radio Network, and you can check out our stories, watch our shows live, replay shows, clips of our shows. Great, great app, so check it out. By the way, rest in peace, Juicy World. This is a track called Armed and Dangerous. Love Juicy World. 21 years of age when he passed away. Seizure, drug overdose. If you guys haven't checked out his documentary on HBO, check it out. It's wonderful. Uh, It's called The Abyss. I watched it late, late at night. The guy has a tremendous amount of talent. It's just a shame, 21 years old, uh, passing away. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have our special guest, uh, a fan of the show and also a friend of the show. We are now talking to Mets Marais writer and editor, Matt Musico. What's going on, Matt? What's up, fellas? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We're very happy to get you back on. Definitely waiting for this because uh, the Mets are the talk of the town. It's not the Yankees, but it seems with Steve Cohen, he likes to make a splash, and he did one this past week, adding Buck Showalter to the list of players that he's added to this team. So before we get into that, how have you been doing? How's everything going right now with you over there and and Mets Marais, the whole magazine, the whole website that you're working on right now for the Mets? Everything's going well. I appreciate you asking. I mean, obviously, the first half of the regular season was really fun, and the second half was pretty soul-crushing. So... Uh, thankfully, after they finally found Billy Epler, somebody that actually wanted to work in the front office for the Mets, <laughs> were able to make some big moves, get people excited again. Certainly a period of time where I had to ask myself, probably around September, October, when was the last time I was thinking about being a Met fan and being happy that I was a Met fan? <laughs> it was probably July. The All-Star game, All-Star weekend, Pete Alonso won the home run derby. They drafted Kumar Rocker, and they were in first place. And then everything kind of just tailspin from there. Including a guy named Rocker, because that tailspin pretty quick, too. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Everything in complete succession. Everything tailspins in typical Mets fashion, too. So that wasn't fun, but it's nice to see some optimism again. Because if you can't be optimistic in the offseason, then when can you actually be optimistic? Before we get into the optimistic stuff, in the beginning of the season, Francisco Lindor just had a horrible year. First year with the Mets, they gave him $34 million a year. He's the second or third highest paid player in baseball. Now he's probably the fourth because the Mets have two of the top five highest paid players in baseball. But you've got the richest owner, so you might as well spend the money. Spin the wheel, mm-hmm. make the deal with them. But what were your thoughts with Francisco's first year as a New York Met? I always thought that coming to New York, it's a different ball game. It's a different pressure on the way you play. And I think it was very smart letting Baez go because I think that would have never worked, especially being that these guys were best friends. And it seemed like the whole thumbs down and starting fights with the Yankees and trying to attack guys that are twice the size of them didn't make any <laughs> sense. But what were your thoughts with Francisco Lindor's first year as a New York Met? Definitely lots of ups and downs, like you said. Certainly a learning process for him. As Mickey Calloway said, Cleveland is certainly not New York. So there are two very different places. I'm sure he took a lot of lessons from all the things that he went through. He's just never able to recover from those awful, awful two months that he had to start the year. He would have had to have gotten absurdly hot to just get back to his typical season-long numbers that he had. When a lot of people are looking at what he did in 2021, they just look at his season-long numbers and think, well, he had a terrible year. And yeah, by his standards, he did have a pretty terrible year. Also, but for Mets shortstops, historically speaking, he actually had a pretty decent year. He almost broke the franchise shortstop record for home runs. He might have been the first shortstop to have 20 homers and 10 stolen bases in the same season, something like that for the Mets. So there were some positives. He just could never recover. I can't even remember. His WRC Plus is probably in like the 60 or 70 range entering into June. But when we look at how he did from June to the end of the year, I can't remember off the top of my head, but his OPS was pretty much right around his career norms. He was much more the normal player that he was. He just kind of went back to who he was. But to be able to appear as if he was for the whole year, he would have had to have gotten much hotter. But then also September was his best month of the year as well, too. So I liked the idea that he at least was able to recover. And he did a lot of things that probably he shouldn't have done. The whole raccoon thing and then the thumbs down thing and all that kind of stuff. But he learned a lot from all the things that he did. And what I liked is that it didn't seem like his confidence ever wavered in himself, which was how he was able to come back and still just be the normal offensive Francisco Lindor that he was with the gold glove caliber defense as well, too. So I tend to think I'm a little bit more on the optimistic side. So I do think that his year overall was better than what the overall stats would look like. I kind of equated to Carlos Beltran's first year with the Mets in 2005. They both came in. It was record-setting contract. He was supposed to be the star that you would have everything built around him. And in 2005, Carlos Beltran had a terrible year. And people were saying all the same things that we're saying about Francisco Lindor right now. And then Beltran ended up becoming the best Mets center fielder they've ever had. So a lot of people are just writing him off and thinking it's a big waste. And obviously, will he live up to the value of his contract? Probably not. That's a lot of money to live up to entering the second tier of his career. But I feel like he's got a lot of good years left. And I feel like he's going to be exactly what they need him to be within that lineup eventually. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do next year. The Mets did not bring back Javier Baez after trading for him at the trade deadline, but they did bring in three other offensive pieces, Starling Marte, Marcana, and Eduardo Escobar. And I thought they were all good contracts. I don't think they overpaid for any one of them. So what were your thoughts to those signings? And would you have rather had Baez instead of maybe one of those guys or even two of those guys? Are you surprised he only got $130 million from Detroit? Would you have wanted to bring him back instead of one of those guys? And what were your thoughts on those three players? It kind of all happened very fast. It was like, I think Marte, Canha, 
and Escobar were all Friday night, the day after Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. I can't remember which one was first, but I think Escobar was I first. I think Escobar was first. Then it was Marte, then Econa. And like, I remember looking at Marte, looking at his numbers at the end of the year and thinking, man, like he'd be a perfect fit for the Mets. I just didn't expect them to actually go after him and land him as well, too. I love the things that they did. None of these three guys specifically strike out a ton. They got on base a lot. They seem to do well with runners in scoring position. And thinking about Marte and Nimmo at the top of the Mets lineup every single day, that sounds like a lot of fun. Marte brings, specifically, he brings something that the Mets have lacked for the majority of the past decade, since Jose Reyes left the first time, which was the stolen bases. I think he had 47 stolen bases yeah. last year, and the Mets as a team had 52. So just that dynamic and him getting on base at a high clip Nimmo getting on base at a high clip. There's going to be a really good shot for Pete Alonso to break the Mets single season RBI record just because he's going to have so many ducks in the pond at this point. I was a little bit sad about Baez not coming back to New York just because we were able to really appreciate how good he is just from a purely baseball standpoint. What a steal baseball by Detroit, by the way. 100%. For the what a pivot. Offering Correa $275 million and then getting him for $130, $140. Terrific. The progress that he made with his plate discipline specifically. He was still very aggressive, but being able to pick and choose his spots and be a little bit more overall effective. I could see what you're saying about him and Lindor being together and it may not working in the long term. But I also saw it as if you know, these guys are very competitive, they're best friends, and they may like also push each other. Just seeing them together for a full year at least to see what they could do sounded really, really cool and really exciting. So I was sad that they didn't bring him back. Steve Cohen technically could, but you can't just spend $100 million on everybody and bring them all in. There are still lots of opportunities for the Mets that are still out there, obviously with Chris Bryant and things like that. But also, we don't know what they're thinking about with Jeff McNeil and how he's going to fit into these pieces of the puzzle as well, too. I think they did a really good job for what they're looking for. I don't think they overpaid for any of them, especially when you look at the projections and predictions that were for all those players at the beginning of the offseason. They spent wisely, kind of efficiently, and they boosted areas of the roster that they really needed boosting. We are talking to Metsmerize writer and editor Matt Musico. Now, I don't really want to get into the whole Max Scherzer. Everybody knows my opinion towards it. I think he's a great arm. I don't think it's going to be a problem, but a guy who's going to be 38 in July, he had shoulder problems last year. I don't trust the Mets that they're going to keep this guy healthy. It's not the Mets thing where they're going to keep a guy like this. This guy's been healthy practically his whole career. He goes to the Mets and he's going to be 43 million. Who cares? Not the same pitcher that he once was, but hopefully that doesn't happen for the Mets fans. But getting back into the Mets, Pete Alonso has been, I believe, the face of this organization. He is the name. He is the piece that everybody keeps talking about Jacob DeGrom. But I've always thought, ever since Pete Alonso came up, he got rid of his social medias. He's been very equivalent with his conversations to the press. Pretty straightforward. When the whole Lindor thing came up, Pay Lindor with Javier Baez with the whole fighting with the Yankees. He backed Javier Baez up. I mean, I have a lot of respect for him. I think he's wrong opening his mouth to the press because if he doesn't put up, he's going to get smacked around by the press. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts to the growth of Pete Alonso, who I think is a special player for the New York Mets? I don't want to say he's the next David Wright for this franchise, but he kind of has that kind of aura about him. He's really happy to sit down and talk with the media, take responsibility, or at certain points when they were in that awful two-week stretch against the Dodgers and the Giants in August, continue to say that they had everything under control, which when they obviously did not. I think 2020 was a really good learning experience for him because even though his numbers were okay, 
he did a lot of struggling and he only really got hot the last week or two of the season. That was a big point of growth for him specifically. And he's very clearly invested in being with this team long term. Like you said, all the things that he's been talking about, how he speaks to the media. I think he's similar to David Wright where like he could mean that much to the franchise, but also different because he kind of looks a little bit more for the spotlight. Whereas David Wright was happy to talk to the media and take responsibility for stuff, but he was much more of a quiet kind of leader. Like this guy wants to create Donnie Stevenson and kind of keep things loose with everyone and like all that stuff. He's most certainly a piece for the long-term future. The conversation doesn't have to happen yet on what exactly pay he's going to look like beyond the next three or four years, but he needs to be now. He's the heart and soul, I think, of the team itself. And it's definitely when we look at the other potential leaders on the club, not counting Max Scherzer coming into it, but you also have DeGrom, who almost never speaks pretty much. So you want to have somebody that at least can be the face and get up in front of the media. And not that DeGrom can't do that, but he just prefers not to. You want to have somebody that can do that. If a bad season is 37 home runs at 94 RBIs, I'll take it, okay? That's a pretty <laughs> good bad too. season. I was going to ask about Jacob DeGrom because he had a historically great first half. It was probably thought of by most people as the National League MVP. Definitely it was, it was the Cy Young. And then he opted not to pitch in July right before the All-Star Raid because he wanted to pitch in the All-Star game. Then he had another injury, so he didn't even pitch in the All-Star game. And then we never saw him in the second half. Do you think that was mostly him inflicted? Do you think there was front office management potential that might have gotten in his way? And what do you think this could mean for him in the future coming back from all these injuries? Well, I think he's got a lot to prove. There's that notion of he throws too hard now. His body can't handle it. Up until this year, he's been mostly durable. Pretty much pencil him in for 25, 30 starts, close to 200 innings since his first full year in 2015. Even when he got hurt in 2016, he still pitched at least 150 innings. So like he's really the bulldog of this rotation or has been. He's been the only constant for the most part in a rotation that's been ravaged by injuries for years and years, probably for like 20 years at this point. He needs to be able to come back and prove these things aren't a big deal and obviously he's in his mid-30s now he's already had Tommy John surgery he's putting a lot of wear and tear on his arm again just with all the torque and the velocity that he's got so he needs to be able to come back and show that he could do it and I feel like a lot of the times when he came out of some of his starts early is precautionary because he seems to be very in tune with his body this one thing is off he kind of knows to be a little bit more cautious because he didn't want to miss a significant amount of time which obviously didn't end up being the case it'll be interesting to see how he comes out into spring training and how he starts the year. Because it's one of those things where you see someone like Mike Trout have a historically great start of the year and then he gets hurt and then we get robbed of seeing a historically great season. It's the same thing with Jacob DeGrom. It was just really a bummer because it would have been awesome to see him finish that from April all the way until the, the beginning of October. It would have been awesome to see what he could have done. So hopefully, again, he's learned more about himself and more about his body and what it can handle and what it can't handle. I do feel like he does ramp things up when necessary and ramp things down when necessary. So maybe he does that little bit more often and figures out how to pitch with this increased velocity that he continues to have. I don't think he can throw any harder than he does, but he throws harder each year. So who knows what he'll do this year. We are talking to Mets Mirage writer and editor, Matt Musico. And by the way, Dellen Patances is no longer with the Mets either. I was actually thinking about him the other day and I was like, I can't even remember him even being on the Mets this past year, but he actually was, believe it or not. I I actually had to look it up to make sure. Wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to the Yankees. Why don't we get into a little bit of this lockout, which has been such a conversation, even though there's no conversations going on right now as we know. We don't know if there's going to be a full season this year. We don't know when the season's going to start this year. We don't know when this lockout is going to be over this year. What are your thoughts with what's going on, what you're hearing behind the scenes with the New York Mets with, is there going to be a 162-game season? And really, players, union, and the owners aren't even sitting down until the new year. So to me, thinking about this and going into the new year, 
That's not a good sign going in knowing that spring training is supposed to start sometime in February. It could be pushed down to, to possibly mid-March or end of March or beginning of April. If that happens, there's no 162-game season. I don't care what the players say. I don't care what the owners say. It's just not going to happen. So what are your thoughts and some of these rules that they're trying to transition into the league? I think the DH thing is great for the National League. It should have been done and implemented a long time ago. It's going to help a lot of these pitchers. It's going to help a lot of the league to transition to what it should have been for years. I understand they like the old National League rules, but I think adding a DH is going to help the Mets. It's going to help a lot of these National League teams because it's going to keep players fresh when they need to. So what are your thoughts with some of the new rules that they're trying to implement into the game? Well, it just seems like they're never on the same page about anything, which is, I guess, not surprising, but still just as frustrating. And I agree with you. The fact that they're not even sitting down to talk until January, we're already kind of on a crunched period of time here. Jeff Passan was just recently reporting, we shouldn't really expect anything until at least February. None of this stuff is sounding encouraging, and especially after coming off 2020 with being a 60-game season. This is the last thing that the sport needs. They have problems marketing their favorite player, their most talented players, most popular players and things like that. And they're trying to get this younger demographic involved into the game more and more interested in the game. This is not how you do it. The one byproduct of the lockout that I did really enjoy was the NBA style free agency spending spree that happened leading up to it. That was freaking awesome. And I think that's something that should happen every single year. They should have some kind of free agency deadline because that was a lot of fun. With all these different rules and things that they're trying to implement, everyone's just really dug into what they want. And it seems like nobody really wants to meet in the middle, at least from what we can tell. So much so they don't even want to talk. When the lockout started, there was this general sense of hope that it'll be like for a couple weeks, but by the holidays, everything will be set and we'll be ready to roll. But this has been something that's been brewing for a long time. Scherzer said in his introductory press conference that the players have a war chest of money that they've been packing away since 2016, since the last CBA was signed for this particular experience, for this particular situation that they're in. So, I mean, it seems like they're going to dig into exactly what they want, hope for the owners to budge, which probably is not going to happen because I don't ever really have experienced billionaires compromising. I don't really experience many billionaires anyways, but just from (laughs) far away, it doesn't seem like they like to compromise very much. So it's going to be an interesting, maybe a little bit of a soul crushing next month and change to see what happens before things actually start to get affected from a game's perspective. So the most recent thing that happened with the Mets, obviously, was Buck Showalter getting hired as their manager. Definitely a different in terms of a type from what we saw with Luis Rojas and the other past managers that they've had. So do you think the Mets made the right decision in doing that? And what do you think are the biggest things that he'll bring as a manager? Whether it was him or someone else, they needed someone who'd been there before. Not necessarily in New York, but just someone who's been a manager before. Not as if first-timers cannot be great managers because we see it happen all the time. But the Mets tried that three times in a row and three strikes are out. They did it with Callaway and then Beltran and then Rojas and it just didn't work out. What Showalter brings to the organization is just the sense of stability, this preparedness that he's won 1,500 plus games in the big leagues. He knows how to do this. Yes, he hasn't gotten very far in the postseason, but that doesn't really matter. Terry Collins never been to the postseason before in his life. And he waited 12 years between managing the Angels in 99 to actually going back and managing the Mets in 2011. And he made it to the World Series. So I think the fact that they have someone that's been there before, I was actually looking at this today for an article that's going to go up tomorrow at Metsmerize. He's had this track record of coming in and turning around clubs pretty much. When he mm-hmm. went to the Yankees, had three or four losing seasons in a row. His first year was a losing season. That was 92. They haven't had a losing season since. With the Diamondbacks, first year was 65 wins and they won 100 the next year. Then with the Rangers, they won 71 and then the next year they won 89. Same thing with the Orioles. His first full year, they won 69 games and then they won 93. So they need someone who can kind of just 
steady the ship. Seems like there's been a lot of uncertainty with the Mets. How about this? Stupidity. It's not stupidity. Stupidity. (laughs) There's no word for it. It's just stupidity. That's the Mets when it comes to management. I think Buck is the perfect fit for the Mets because I think he's going to take them to that next level. Buck's never won a championship. Maybe Buck wins a championship with the Mets. It's a shame what happened with him and the Yankees. And he's been working with the Yankees. He loves the Yankees organization. I give Buck a lot of credit because he stuck by the Yankees no matter what happened with the whole Steinbrenner thing because I think Buck would have won those championships too with the Yankees. He fell out of thought with the boss and the boss wanted to move elsewhere to an ex-Mets manager. What makes this so interesting is the Yankees brought in an ex-Mets manager and then they started winning championship after championship after championship right away. Maybe the opposite thing happens to the Mets. He goes to the Mets, ex-Yankee manager, and he wins a championship or two with this Mets team. I think Buck is a perfect person for this team, this young team. He works very good with young players and veterans. Out of all the moves that they made in this offseason... Buck Showalter was, I believe, the best move they made in the whole offseason. Yeah, they need someone to steer the ship. He was certainly, it seems as if, the perfect fit for that particular job. And so I'm excited to watch him do his thing on a daily basis, too, just because it's something that Mets fans haven't really seen in a long time. Just his experience with dealing with guys on a daily basis, dealing with the bullpen. Everyone has a problem with their manager managing the bullpen, but Buck has actually been pretty good at that over the years. It's like one of his calling cards. So being able to see him pull some strings and bring his strategy into the game, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him do his oh, thing and, you and love, try and get the most out of these guys. And you'll love how angry he gets when he is an emotional person in the dugout. He's going to work very well with the press, too, because I think it'll be really, really funny. The Mets have a terrible game, and he goes, goes out and the press asks him silly questions and how angry he gets. He's like the perfect fit. The guy that's going to kick home plate when he's yelling at an umpire or something like that. Lou Pinella type of guy. Yeah, I was going to say, was he going to throw the base like Lou Pinella? He's that type (laughs) of guy. I think he's going to be really, 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 really fun to watch because he has no problems yelling at the umpires. He has no problems yelling at his players. He has no problems yelling at the fans. He is a personality by itself. You should be excited as a Mets fan with Buck coming in. It's the perfect fit. I got to give the Mets a lot of credit. This offseason's been very sustainable for this team and maybe takes this team to that next level. The Atlanta Braves won a World Series. Maybe the National League East is back in the runnings to be one of those divisions to be 2023 uh, World Series champs every other year at the National League East. Maybe the the Mets are the next. 2023 World Series champs. I'll take whatever I can get at this point. (laughs) Wishful thinking for all the Mets fans. I think they're in good shape. One more question. When you look at this team as a whole and you look at the National League, the last 10 years, it's been dominant by really three teams. The Cardinals, who have been a a dominant force. The Dodgers being another team. The Giants are another organization. You look at the seeds that grew these teams was pitching and starting pitching. When you look at this team as a whole, adding Max Scherzer to this team with Jacob DeGrom, if they can stay healthy, this could be the most dynamic duo starting pitching we've seen in probably 20 years. The Yankees in 98 when Roger Clemens, David Wells, Andy Pettit, Jimmy Key. I mean, you had all those players on one pitching staff. What are your thoughts to the Mets organization and what the Mets organization believes this pitching staff will be if they could stay healthy? When you think about the Mets and you look at their history, all of their good teams have been built upon really strong starting pitching. Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, Dwight Gooden, Ron Darling. What they can bring to the table as an elite duo, because when you look at certain statistics, nobody has been better than these two guys mm-hmm. in the past like five years. Since 2016, they've won... How many Cy Youngs? At least four Cy Youngs together have been in the top three or five, like eight different times. The thing that will be also interesting is watching them compete against one another as well, too. When you look at a really good rotation, you got to have one or two Bulldogs at the top to set the tone for everybody else. And that's what DeGrom did last year in the first half. He was so terrific. 
everyone had to elevate their game. Walker elevated his game, Strowman elevated his game, and that's what really helped that rotation be so good. Having these two guys are each in different stratospheres, it's really going to work wonders for this organization. And I think Ron Darling said it best probably a week or two ago, is that he equated Max Scherzer coming to the Mets, the impact and effect that he'd have on the team, as like Tom Brady going to the Bucks. Wow. Think of someone on the older side, veteran, who doesn't give a crap about anything, that just wants to come in and compete, changing the culture. The Mets need a culture change. Yeah, they do. Showalter's going to do that. Scherzer's going to do that too. Just with the way that they carry themselves on a daily basis. So if he could have that same impact that Brady had on the Bucs in Tampa Bay, that would do a world of good for this club to get to that short-term goal of getting to the World Series, but also being a sustainably good club like the Dodgers, like the Giants, like the Cardinals for the long term as well. Well, my friend, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Matt, tell the fans how they can find you on social media. On Twitter at mmusico8. This is just M-M-U-S-I-C-O 8. Always there talking Mets, talking baseball, and you can find my work at mesmerizedonline.com. Absolutely. Matt, thank you for joining us. You're awesome, and we'll have you on very, very soon. All right. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. Matt! Musical, ladies and gentlemen, uh, awesome. If you guys are a Met fan, you got to check out his writing. He's wonderful, has a great personality, loves us. We love him, and we'll definitely get him on the show again in the very, very near future to make fun of him. Because if Buck Showalter is not a success, or even some of the additions in the offseason are not a success, and I'm sure he's going to write about great things about him, you know I'm going to attack him. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into a little bit more in baseball, the lockout. We will get into where the Yankees and Mets could go in the lockout offseason when this ever ends. So we'll get into that when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. We are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. We are the Weekend Crunch. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is Apple, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Networks. I love this track. If nobody has checked out Tory Lanez's new album, this track is called Enchanted Waterfall. Every single track on this album is sensational. I'm giving you guys some thoughts on music that you could check out. I've been giving you names and artists, Juicy World, trying to give you guys some tracks that you could check out if you have your spare time and you like R&B, hip-hop. So why don't we get into some baseball? Before that, I feel so bad. When I heard that story about the kid from Colorado losing control of his tractor trailer, his brakes lost control, he hit another car, killed four people. He was sentenced the other day for 110 years. I feel really, really bad because of the way the law is and the way the objectives of thought on how do you stop something like that if your brakes give in. And when you look at the big picture, he didn't purposely do it. It was manslaughter. So the fact they gave him that kind of 110 years for four deaths for a guy that didn't do it intentionally. He wasn't drunk. He wasn't on drugs. It's just a sad story, Speedy. Hopefully, him and his lawyers can get another court date or try to fight this because I, I just feel bad for the kid. Let's get into the lockout. Baseball's been crazy. Obviously, Buck Showalter, and we'll get into Buck in just one second, He's signing a three-year deal with the New York Mets, getting introduced the other day to all the New York Mets fans, and I'll tell you why. It's a big pickup, probably the biggest pickup in the offseason for them. But when you look at the Mets, you talk about a team over the last decade that really didn't open up their pockets. Maybe it was the Bernie Madoff situation. Maybe the Will Ponds or the Coupons, whatever you want to call them. They didn't want to open up their pockets. They didn't have any thought to open up their pockets and putting money in the team where the team was going to invest back into a, a product that 
fans were going to see and spending all that money for the tickets and $15 for a hot dog. But you look at this team, where this organization is going, I wonder if going out there and spending the money that they're spending on a Max Scherzer for $43 million a year and three-year extension, which could give them $130 million in three years, which is the biggest contract in Major League history. Guys like Marte, who I think it was a great contract, but is he going to do the things that he has done elsewhere and come to the New York Mets and succeed, steal 57 bases, 20, 25 home runs, and be that shutdown defender in the outfield that they haven't had since Carlos Beltran? Who knows? But not even that. Is Lindor ever going to get out of the hole that he put himself in last year? Not only when Javier Baez came to the team with the thumbs down, but really, is he going to be the player that they extended? 12-year contract, $340 million, $33 million, $34 million a year. And that's what the Mets need to do. If they're going to open up their pockets and they're going to pay these guys, they need to produce, not only for the fan, but for the ownership, for the ownership to open up their pockets. And everybody keeps saying that he's another George Steinbrenner. It never worked for George Steinbrenner. Whenever George Steinbrenner opened up his pockets to players from other teams, they never won. Did they ever win with Jason Giambi? No. Did they ever win with Mike Mussina? No. They did win with CC Sabathia. They did win with Mark Teixeira. And it took a while to win with Alex Rodriguez. It took two contracts of almost $300 million for them to win with Alex Rodriguez. So it doesn't always bring championships. So you have to build through the farm system. Now, I think Brody Van Wagenen helped the Mets build that farm system up. I think Manaya, who came back, who was helping with the foreign international, helped out in those positions that they needed to fill in, especially the catching position that they have a couple of good prospects coming up in the future. But all in all, they cannot build around spending money on players, Speedy. Now, it's not an exact science with the way that kind of thing is. The only team that's seemed to do it successfully, but they do other things well, is the Dodgers. And I don't think you can expect any team to do what the Dodgers have. They have the best combination of everything. Now, the Mets... They're making much more valuable contracts with their offense. We'll see on Scherzer. That was more of a swing for the fences type thing. But I thought the Marte, Kana, and Escobar contracts are all pretty good, where I don't think that was a big thing. But you're right. They still need other things. The Mets aren't the complete team yet. Are they one of the best teams? Sure. But you don't win games on paper either. And the Mets still have to overcome a lot of the other things that they've had trouble with over the years when it comes to bad management. They ruin a lot of relief pitchers. They're the most injury-prone team in sports. There's still a lot of things that have not gone the Mets' way, especially in seasons with high expectations, too. They always seem to squander those. And the Mets do better in seasons with lower expectations. When they went to the World Series in 2015, they were not thought of as the favorites. They were thought of as a potential, maybe a wild-card team. The Nationals were the favorites that year. And a lot of people thought Miami was good, too, with Stanton, Ozuna, Yelich, that whole team. And the Mets weren't thought of as the favorites, but they got all the young pitching all at once and they made that kind of thing work. But when they're the heavier favorites, they haven't done well in certain seasons. They even missed the playoffs completely at home. So that'll be the big thing to look at with the Mets in terms of getting just a new identity to this team. Buck Showalter definitely helps in terms of a stability standpoint. Hopefully he can manage those players well because they do have a lot of personalities on that team. Lindor's a personality. Alonzo's a personality. Marte has always been kind of a fiery personality too. And maybe even some of the young players that they have could be personalities as well. So hopefully they can get that kind of thing going. But the Mets still have some other holes on this team. They're not a perfect team by any means just because they're spending money. Now, as far as Buck Showalter is concerned, I thought that was a sensational move. It was great for the Mets and and really the organization before the new year to bring him in. I didn't think they were. We predicted it was going to be at the 
end of this year. But they wanted to make a splash, I think, introducing Buck and showing the players and showing the fans that they're going to do everything they can to give them the best possible product out there. And hiring Buck Showalter, he was the best manager available in the offseason. A veteran guy, a fiery guy, a Yankee. Everybody remembers Buck. Did very well with the Texas Rangers. He did very well with Baltimore. He did very well with Arizona. But everybody remembers him as a Yankee. He is a Yankee. Epler was a Yankee. So what the Mets are trying to do is they're trying to rebuild what the Yankees did in the 90s when they were a dominant force and bringing Epler in. He has hopefully hit on some of these players that he brought into free agency. And now bringing in Buck, it solidifies who they are as an organization and what this organization believes they could be in the future. Now, there were stories coming out that it wasn't because of what Max Scherzer said, that he believes that Buck should be the guy. The organization came out and said Max Scherzer had nothing to do with the hiring of Buck. I beg to differ on that. When you've heard Jacob DeGrom say it, you heard heard Max Scherzer say, you've heard Pete Alonso talk about Buck Showalter and wanting to, him to coach the team and manage the team. I, I think it had a lot to do with it. I absolutely do believe that. I think he's helped a lot of young superstars like the Manny Machados of the world. Uh, he's helped, uh, uh, obviously, you see what Buck has done, and he's never won a World Series as a, a manager. Never. And he, he had a chance with the Yankees before they let him go. That problem with George Steinbrenner, they brought in Joe Torre, and then they went on that winning streak in the championship spree. Buck probably would have done it as well as Joe Torre did, but he didn't get the chance to do that. He's the one that really built that team and helped build that team to that championship competitive team. But I think all in all, if you're a Met fan and you're sitting here today and you're saying, well, I like the acquisitions, but who is my manager? Who is my leader? And you hear the name Buck Showalter, it has to make you excited for the season having a guy like that in your dugout. Yeah, the Mets definitely went for this move for a stability and accountability type thing because they've always had the quote-unquote talent that the big name talent that should be better and it rarely produces i mentioned it with relief pitchers also all these older outfielders they brought in over the years it seems like the mets are free agent reliant with a lot of those positions too because they've had a lot of trouble developing their own homegrown talent and even a lot of this team is not homegrown talent either but buck showalter kind of makes those things work the orioles and the rangers were both kind of similar where they had some nice young players, Rangers at the time with Josh Hamilton and the Orioles with Manny Machado, but they also had a good mixture of veterans too. Michael Young on those Rangers teams. You had guys like Nick Markakis and Adam Jones on the Orioles. And the Mets kind of have that mixture of it too, where they have some veteran present pitchers that I think are better than anything those teams have had in the past. And Buck Showalter even worked with some lesser talented managing the bullpen on those pitching teams too. So if they can make that kind of thing work, I would hope he'd be able to do it to the Mets. Now the Mets still have jinx relief pitchers for whatever reason. They don't do well when they come here type thing. Well, hopefully Buck Showalter can change that kind of thing. Starting pitching, they're generally fine with, but again, still got a lot to be concerned with the injuries, but it's definitely a good move for accountability. And in terms of leadership, which you mentioned a couple segments ago with the Giants, not having leadership since the whole Coughlin debacle. The Mets really haven't had leadership in who knows how long, so that's a good sign. As far as the Yankees are concerned, you could sit back and relax and enjoy the lockout because the Yankees are adding pieces, small pieces, but nothing big, and a lot of Yankee fans are getting restless. They're getting upset. It looks like Sanchez could be the catcher next year. They did add another piece to that catching core. I don't know what the Yankees are going to do. I still think there are one or two catchers that are still available. If somehow after the lockout they're sitting there, maybe the Yankees scoop one of them up and and trade Gary Sanchez. But as of right now, it looks like it's going to be Gary Sanchez. Again, 
going into the season. And I really thought he was going to be gone. To be upset that Gary Sanchez is going to catch for you, I don't know why you're upset. He's still going to give you a bat in the lineup that's going to give you power and give you a chance at any time to hit you a home run. So at that position, getting the power that he relies and really proposes that type of power to that lineup, I think you should be somewhat happy that you have something at the position. But all in all, I think the Yankees are still waiting for Freeman to decide where he wants to go. is out there. I think Carlos Correa would love to take over and really fill in for Derek Jeter in the past and his favorite player, Alex Rodriguez, to come and pin strikes and, and bring back another championship to the Yankees. The kid Volpe, I believe he's going to make the 40-man roster this year. The Yankees are preaching very highly of him. Aaron Boone really can't talk about it because of the lockout, but he says that they believe this kid is a star. He's a stud. And he's going to be some player when he comes into the league with, uh, with his ability to steal bases, hit for power, and do all the things that you expect him. And he's a gold glove quality defensive player at shortstop. Maybe they move him to third. Quite possible moves in the making for the New York Yankees. So as a Yankee fan, all the Yankee fans that can't stand Aaron Boone, you can't attack a man who has won every single year as a manager. Every year he's been there, he's had a winning record. You can't say he's been bad. Now, he hasn't won. But winning a World Series is as hard as any sport and any championship you could possibly win. So to attack him the way you attack him, it's terrible. Now, is he the guy? Honestly, I don't know. Do I believe he is? No. I don't believe Aaron Boone is the guy. But we've seen crazier things that I think Joe Torre was the guy when he came into the 90s. I didn't even know who Joe Torre was. I knew he was a baseball player. He was a decent third baseman, catcher for the Cardinals. I, I remember he managed the Mets. I didn't know who he was. I didn't think he was better than Buck. But he took over and he became a god here in New York. So who knows if Aaron Boone could bring a championship home. We'll still not get the props from the Tyler Harrisons of the world or the haters. Because no matter what he does, it's never good enough for the Yankee fans. So I'm not upset that Aaron Boone's coming back. There was nobody out there. Bringing Buck back doesn't make sense for the Yankees. Buck was working with the Yankees in the offseason and last year's regular season working for Yes. He wanted another job. He wanted to stay in New York. This is where he loves to be. Um, Taking over for the Mets made a lot of sense for Buck and his family. For the Yankees, the Yankees believe in what they believe in. So I hope Aaron Boone sees this season as a success for an opportunity to really shut Yankee fans up. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into a little bit of hockey because I'm sure a lot of hockey fans are wondering when hockey is going to come back. And Is this good for the New York teams? I'll tell you why it's good for one and not good for the other. And when we come back, we'll get into this whole Kemba Walker, New York Nick debacle and the Brooklyn Nets doing what they always do with Kyrie Irving coming back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are bringing it back. We are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy the Damn Petey. Yes, we are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. A little Vince McMahon. Why? This isn't a wrestling show, by the way. Remember, you can download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Our great stories... Watch our shows live. Listen to our shows live. Check out all the different clips that we have. It's wonderful. Check it out. Little Music Soul Child. Buddy, if you've never heard the remix of this song, sensational. Old track, 
Love it. I'm giving you guys a little bit of a mix tonight. Merry, Merry Christmas. I should be playing Christmas songs. When we come back from the next break, I'll play an old Christmas song that you guys absolutely love. Merry, Merry Christmas to all the fans out there and a happy, happy new year. We're very happy to be here and be your entertainers. We're really happy to be here. Let's get into this whole hockey thing because I think Gary Bettman has been the best commissioner in professional sports and it's crazy to say that, but he has been. Not saying much. No, it's not. Rob Manfred's been horrible. Adam Silver has been LeBron James as you know what and we all know with Roger, the great big daddy, Goodell, how much money he makes, 45, 50 million a year and mm-hmm. lifetime benefits for his family. And this guy, as much as he gets and brings in money for the, these owners and, and these players, he's been an absolute debacle as a commissioner as well. I think why did the NHL not cancel the games weeks ago? You see all these COVID situations come down with the Islanders. They lost nine players and coaches. And the Islanders went on a skid of eight or nine games in a row that they lost. And this isn't like the Islanders. The Islanders were an Eastern Conference competitive team. They were a Stanley Cup competitive team going into the season. And they completely fell out. They're in last place in a division. Who would have thought? And you think because they're just a bad team. But you look at the injuries. You look at the sicknesses that they've been dealing with. And you sit there and you say, why didn't they cancel the games when that was going on? No, you know what they did? They waited until the Montreal Canadiens, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Ottawa Senators, and all the other Canadian teams caught the COVID-19 virus. And then all of a sudden, you know what? We're going to cancel the games until 2022. Enjoy yourselves. And to me, it is a complete debacle. And it really shows you why Gary Bettman is as big a fool as every single commissioner of professional sports. But that's not even it. When we talk about the Islanders and the Rangers right now, who does this benefit? And I'm going to tell you why it benefits one team and not the other. A couple of years ago, COVID-19 shut down the NHL for a significant amount of time. The NHL came back. One team was out of the playoffs, and the other team was a borderline playoff team. The Rangers were the borderline playoff team, and the Islanders fell completely out of it. Pellet came back from an injury. Pulak is right now hurt. He's going to come back from an injury. Brock Nelson's going to come back. We saw the Islanders start to play good hockey after that whole skid of COVID-19 happened. The Islanders started to win. They made the playoffs, and they took it all the way to the Eastern Conference Championship where they played the Tampa Bay Lightning, lost four games to two, put on a great show, beat some great teams. And the Rangers, who looked really, really good before the whole COVID-19 situation, they completely fell apart and then went to the round robin and lost straight games, three games in a row, I think against the Carolina Hurricanes. This doesn't bold well for the New York Rangers. I believe it bodes well for the Islanders. I really do because they're going to get healthy. They'll get some practices on their new ice, which to me, I still think they're playing an away game because they haven't had enough time on that ice. Thank you to the ownership over there, not letting them play the games early in the season instead of traveling 11,000 miles in the first month of the season and put this team on stilts, limping to the finish line uh, as they move into the middle part of the season. Speedy, what do you think uh, of what I'm trying to get to and what I'm trying to get at here? Yeah, I think it definitely benefits the Islanders. I think just be getting everyone back to not even just the COVID guys, just the injuries in general. The Islanders have always been kind of a streak driven team as it is for the last few years. They've had these massive double digit winning streaks and then they have slow starts to the season or they'll last year, they stumbled down the stretch where they were the number two seed in the Matt's mutual East at that time. And then they fell to number four. Now it didn't matter for the playoffs, but still it just shows that they're kind of streak reliant. So I think that it definitely boosts them for sure. And in terms of just getting a, 
confidence back, different identity back. They can regain it. Long breaks generally benefit better coach teams. And I think that'll definitely help them trying to regain something. Hockey is a little flukier in comparison to like, there's less controllable aspects of hockey in comparison to something like football, where like the better coaches will benefit on a bye week more or something like that. But still, you got to think Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello is going to get something going with that. But I also still think it can help the Rangers too, though, because one, Igor Sturkin can get healthy as well on this break. The Rangers have had decent games from Kincaid, one good game from Georgiev in the stretch, but still, they're not Igor Sturkin. So I think that'll definitely still help them too. And Galant's a veteran guy that's gone through a lot of different things as well. So I think it still could definitely help the Rangers as well, but I definitely still think where the Islanders are, it's they need a big boost like that, and they're going to get it. It's very, very interesting, and you look at where both teams are, the Islanders really needed this. To me, the league really screwed the Islanders earlier in the season because they should have canceled some of the games. They should have given the Islanders the opportunity to heal up from this COVID-19, and they didn't do it, and I think this has really hurt the Islanders, and maybe could cost the Islanders making the playoffs this year. So I do believe the Islanders hurt the Islanders as well, and they hurt themselves because of this new stadium. They should have started the season with the Nassau Coliseum or something. They shouldn't have gone on that 11,000-mile tour around the country to really reach to where we are now, where they're in last place, and they're one of the worst teams in the NHL. So something needs to give for this team and really get back into this race. As far as the NBA is concerned, this New York Knicks team has been terrible this year. For what we thought this team was going to be, Julius Randle taking $116 million, taking a low pay cut to stay with the Knicks and, and be the other guy on this team. Really not the guy, but the other guy. He thinks he's the guy, but he's not. You brought in Kemba Walker and Fournier, and you thought these guys were going to add the offense capabilities that they didn't have last year, where, where it cost them in the playoffs against Atlanta Hawk team as good as they were the way Young was playing. Kemba Walker's been sitting for the last couple of weeks, and he's grown distance. He didn't talk to Tom Thibodeau really for the last couple of weeks. And for some reason, Tom Thibodeau the other day decided to play Kemba Walker. He went on a hot streak, scored 22 points in the second quarter and scored 44 points. He's the first Nick to do that since Julius Randle did last year. And this is the first time a Nick player scored 40 or more points this year. And to me, I think even with that, does this help the Knicks? Does this move forward for what Tom Thibodeau and Kemba Walker are not doing on and off the court and getting along? No, it doesn't. What it does is opens up options now to trade Kemba Walker. If he starts to play well, you can move him, get maybe a player or two involved in a trade where you can bring in another player to fill in that spot at the position. But it's just been a debacle. There's really nothing to say about what this team is. They're not a playoff team right now. So what do you say about that? Well, I don't know if one game is necessarily going to define a whole trade value for Kemba Walker, but it's definitely a start. It's definitely a good confidence booster that he could finally play in that, I guess, system for that type of coaching. Now, wherever they trade him to might not have the same level of disciplinary coach as Tom Thibodeau, but it's at least something to get his game back because it's been on the fritz since all the injuries he suffered with the Celtics, too. He struggled with them down the stretch last year. He struggled with them when he first came over there at the beginning of the season, and it didn't seem like he was going to be the same player. Then he was bought out of that big contract by OKC. So it's definitely a start. I'm not going to say it's one game defining him to say, now let's trade him. I think teams are still going to still worry about, all right, what was he in the beginning of the season? Still lost a lot defensively. Not that he was great to begin with, but still lost a lot in terms of his lateral movement, in terms of his shooting, certain other things like that. But it's definitely a start. And I think they're going to try to maybe ride the hot hand and try to encourage that a little more because the trade deadline is in two months. Maybe they were saying, okay, 
they struggled all this stretch without him. Let's try with him too. If they keep winning, maybe they hang on him. If they maybe are still average, but he's playing well, I would think that's the scenario where you'll see the Knicks trade him because they still have Derek Rose and now Alec Burks playing in the backcourt as well. And I expect some of the other players to maybe get some reps in there too, because if they still keep floating at that play in team average type team, Tom Thibodeau is going to have to start experimenting with some different combinations of players, whether that means starting Quigley more, whether it means maybe having Fournier or even somebody like Barrett be a ball handler too, where they have to try different lineups around rather than just having saying, all right, this is a point guard. Let's just play point guard. We had a couple of basketball guests last week saying, if you have a good enough roster, it could be a positionless NBA. And the Knicks maybe have to go to that kind of system too. And they have the wing depth to do it on paper. They just have to make it work. When you look at the big picture and you look at where the Knicks are and what the Knicks are, they have to figure out who their identity is and what their identity is. And I don't think they figured it out. It was a defensive team moving into the season. They really have fallen out of that defense. What are your thoughts to the Brooklyn Nets who have looked sensational? Kyrie Irving is back. I'm hearing he could get the vaccine now. Kyrie Irving is back. This team is, to me, the favorites now to win the whole thing. Yeah, they have to be at this point. Now they've weathered the storm of not having Kyrie and it's going to make other players better too, where Kevin Durant's not going to get the same level of attention. He's already playing MVP level basketball as it is. James Harden, who struggled in the beginning of the season, now starting to play a little better, but now he's going to get less attention on him in the backcourt. If Kevin Durant's in the front court, that gives them just other options to do. And also I think the biggest thing too, is it'll take the toll physically off of Kevin Durant too. Kevin Durant's had to ball handle a lot more. Kevin Durant's had to maneuver the basketball and play off the ball. Kevin Durant's still a great player, but it's not somebody that you want to have moving around that much at his age, too, and also coming off the injuries he's had. So I think physically, especially what happened in the playoffs last year where he was really carrying the load because nobody else was on. Obviously, Harden and Kyrie were hurt, but even a lot of the other bench players, Shamet. Joe Harris, guys like that really struggle in the playoffs. So he had to carry the load. The next best player was probably Blake Griffin. And now they have a little more depth to be able to compensate for that. Patty Mills has played very well this year. LaMarcus Aldridge has played very well for them this year. And even some of the young players have played well for them this year too, where you're starting to see now when Kyrie Irving comes back, those guys can now play in a much more comfortable role because he could be more of a ball handler. Absolutely. And I think Kyrie Irving is a big and very important piece to where this team is and what this team is going to be. And that, to me, is so very, very important on what the Nets are as an organization. Because Kyrie Irving turned down a $188 million contract this offseason, and then they took it off the table because of the whole COVID-19. Maybe he's going to ask for more. If, if he could be the addition that they need, the piece that they need. And I know what Kevin Durant said. They have said, both players, Kevin Durant Durant and Harden said that they need Kyrie Irving just as much as we need each other. I think Kyrie Irving plays a big part of what this team is and what this organization is. And LaMarcus Aldridge and the other pieces that they have, slowly but surely at the trade deadline, they add another piece or two. This team is definitely the team to beat when it comes to the NBA and what the NBA is as a whole. You need that three-superstar, that three-headed monster, and I think the Brooklyn Nets are that. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? Debate Wars and the Christmas Crunch Time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. My favorite Christmas song, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, Merry Christmas! As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. As you know, we are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World, Wide Sports Radio Network. Check us out 
and check our app out by going iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Last Christmas, I gave you a smack. Yes, Speedy is the man. And I'll give you the facts. <laughs> How do you like that, ladies and gentlemen? I gave you a nice little riff for all you guys, all you Christmas fans. To me, Speedy, Christmas plays such a big part of just everything that's gone on in the world. And I've just... Very, very happy and thankful that we're healthy and everything is moving forward for life. That's a good thing. So new year, new life, new everything. Are we ready, Speedy? Yes. This is the Debate Hour. And now in this corner, your host, Errol Mars. And in this corner, who gives a sh- <laughs> Never so this gets week, old. we will start the holiday debate wars oh, yes. with some baseball. Who is the better slugger that is a first-time Hall of Fame nominee this year, Prince Fielder or Ryan Howard? You first. I'm going to take Prince Fielder in this one for two reasons, one of which batting average better throughout his career. He had a couple 300 hitting seasons, even towards the end of his career. If he didn't have the injuries in Texas, I feel like he would have had a lot more. But even his, his second year with Texas, when they made the playoffs, he hit 305, almost 100 RBIs in that one. Both of them struck out a lot, but Prince Fielder between batting average and on base percentage and slugging percentage, I'll take him over Ryan Howard. I'm going to go with the Prince. I mean, Ryan Howard struck out too much. He really did. Prince... What he did, trying to be compared to his father, Cecil Fielder, and he was a great all-around player. He was even a decent defensive player at the position that he played. So I'm going to go with Prince with his power, his ability, and he also it's for average. So I'm going to go with Prince. All right, let's go to hockey. Who is a better player so far in their career, Zach Parise or Corey Perry? Mm. I'm going to take Corey Perry in this one, only because I think he was a little more physical than Parise was. Parise, I think in certain years, was the better offensive player. Uh, more points in his NHL career so far. But, again, Corey Perry with his size wasn't the overly fast skater later in his career, but physicality definitely made a difference for those Anaheim Ducks teams. And even with Dallas in their run a couple of years ago when they went to the Stanley Cup with a big part of their postseason. I'm going to go with Perry. I am going with Zachy Parisi, not because he's an Islander, because he hasn't been much of an Islander, but what he did with the, the Devils, the ability that he had, the goal-scoring ability, he put the puck in, in when he, you needed it, especially in the playoffs. He took those Devil teams all the way through the playoffs. Very successful player, an American player. How many American players have scored almost 400 goals? Zach Parisi is one of very few. I think Zach Parisi, to me, is a Hall of Famer. I don't know if Corey Perry is a Hall of Famer, so I'm going to go with Zach Parisi. Better power back, Jamal Lewis or Eddie George? I'm going to take Jamal Lewis in this one. Eddie George was a little better with when it came to touchdowns and receiving yards, but I think he also played with a very good offensive line in Tennessee. Not that Jamal Lewis didn't. He played with Jonathan Ogden, who was one of the best tackles of all time, and a couple other great offensive lineman, but Jamal Lewis, better yards per carry, 4.2 in comparison to George, who didn't even average four yards a carry. I don't think his touchdown total was that far behind. I think even longevity with Cleveland later in his career, too, with some horrible teams was very good, so I'm going to go with Lewis. I am going to go with Eddie George. Eddie George, first of all, this guy was a great college player. He came into the league. He took a Tennessee Titan team with, I guess you could say, a great quarterback, but not a great team. He was the importance of that offense. Power back was one play away from winning a Super Bowl, so I'm going to go with the great Eddie George. 
It's funny, Steve McNair actually played with both players. <laughs> That's true, but Steve McNair, when he was on the Baltimore Ravens, wasn't what he was when he was with the Titans. That's fair. That's fair. One more, NBA. Obviously, LeBron's the best player of that 2003 draft class, but who was the second best? Was it Wade? Was it Bosch? Was it Carmelo Anthony? Mm. Who do you think was the best of that? I'm actually going to take Bosch in this one. I know Wade's probably the most popular answer, probably one of the better shooting guards of all time, but I think Chris Bosch changed the game more with the big man shooting and even passing the way he was. He wasn't the like big-time assist guy, only two per game in his career, but obviously not a point guard. But I thought his vision on the court was very good. Great free throw shooter, actually better overall than Dwayne Wade as well. And big man shooting, it's a big part of today's game, and I think he helped revolutionize that. I'm going to go with Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade was the better player. He's one of the best shooting guards in the league when he took over and he went over there to Miami. He was the other superstar. Dwayne Wade could be the third best shooting guard of all time. So I'm going to go with Dwayne Me Man Wadey. Yes, Dwayne Wade. All right, so that concludes Debate Wars for this week. You like now. that, Speedy? You enjoy that? Yeah. You, you like the music? The music was good. Do you like Dwayne Wadey instead of Dwayne Brady? <laughs> Are you ready, Speedy? Yes, it is now time for Christmas Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. All right, we'll start in the NFL this week. So Trey Hendrickson's had 11 straight games with a sack for the Cincinnati Bengals. Buy or sell, he will have his 12th straight against the Ravens. Go ahead, Speedy. I'm going to buy it. I think Lamar Jackson between all the offensive line injuries and his injuries himself doesn't have that same level of confidence. It doesn't have that same level of mobility, backup tackles, backup guards in the game. I think it will be a low scoring game. I think he gets one sack in this game, could keeps the streak going, even though I think the Ravens win the game. I'll buy it. I agree. And that was one of the biggest pickups in the offseason. I think Hendrickson is one of the best pass rushers in the league. That was one of the guy that I thought the Jets should have went after from the Saints. They decided to go with Carl Lawson. We don't know what Carl Lawson was. I'm going to go with Hendrickson. I would buy that. All right, buy or sell. Jake DeBrus will be traded by the Boston Bruins. Uh, I'll buy it. I think his value is really falling a lot now, but I do think they'll have to move him eventually. This team is really not playing well, and I think a lot of it is that bottom six player culture that they're going. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it. Absolutely. He wants out. He's told the Boston Bruins he wants out. Why would he want to stay there? So if he's coming out and he's saying that he wants out, more than likely that's where he's going to go. So they'll trade him. All right, buy or sell. The lockout will remove at least 40 games from the MLB season. I'm going to buy that. I've been on record of saying it's not going to start until May. And I think that this slow pace that they're going at right now, they're not even talking to each other throughout their New Year's. I think that'll help it more. I will definitely buy it. I'm 100% buying it. I've been saying it. We've had all these different writers for all these different baseball teams, and they all are so adamant that it's not going to cost a 162-game season. I believe there is a high cost of it, especially these players. They're not going to negotiate anything, anything that they feel that they're not getting any guarantees to. So you know what? I am going to buy it. All right, another streak that I didn't think we would be hearing. The Falcons defense. Nine straight games with the turnovers. They will make it 10 against the Detroit Lions. Yeah, I'll buy it again. Why not? The Lions, I think they have a little bit of a letdown after their blowout win against the Cardinals. I know their offense, Jared Goff, has played very well this season, but I do think they will have one costly turtle, maybe a backup running back in the receiver. That's, that's bad. Falcons defense, I still don't think is amazing, but it's a impressive streak. I'll buy it. I am going to sell it. I don't believe in the Atlanta Falcons. They've played very well the last couple of games, and maybe it's the coaching, maybe it's just the players, maybe they just have a very easy schedule. So I'm going to sell it. I don't believe they're going to do it. I like what Detroit's done. Maybe Detroit surprises everybody and knocks off Atlanta. <laughs> Maybe. All right. Buy or sell. We've heard this rumor. Daniel Lillard wants to play with Ben Simmons. So buy or sell. They will end up on the same team. I am going to sell that one. I know the popular one is the McCollum for Simmons swap. I think if it was going to happen, it would have happened already. Damian Lillard's agent has come out and said those rumors are false too. And I think both of them are still trying to 
be stubborn in their front offices, so I will sell it. I am absolutely going to sell it. It's not going to happen. I know a lot of people think that what Damian Lillard says, it usually happens. I don't believe it. So I'm going to sell it. Ben Simmons is going to stay a 76er all season long. The 76ers are loving this just to punish this guy. And eventually they'll trade him, but they're going to lose a lot. Maybe they'll release him. I don't know what they're thinking in their head, but they're not going to give him what he wants. So there you go. Buy or sell. So three out of four of these wide receivers will have 100 yards in their matchup. So it's Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, if he does play, and OBJ. Three out of four of them. I will sell it. I don't know if OBJ will. And I think Jalen Ramsey will shut down one of the Vikings receivers, whether it's Jefferson, whether it is Thielen, where they won't have 100 yards. I could definitely see two of them. Cup definitely will. The Vikings don't have anyone that can stop that. I just don't know if OBJ will get all the deep routes. I'll sell it. I'm selling it, too. There's no way in hell. I think one guy, Cooper Cup, is the only one that's going to do that this week. I think Ramsey is going to shut down Jefferson. He's the number one guy over there. Thielen might hit 100, but I like what the Rams have done the last couple of weeks, even with their secondary corner help over there since Ramsey's been out. So I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. The Mets will end up with Chris Bryant. I'm going to sell it. I think there's going to be a team that will eventually swoop in and overpay for him just to make sure the Mets contract. The Mets are going to pay him a lot of money. It's not like Steve Cohen can't, but it's not their main need. I think the Mets filling out their offense the way they did this offseason. They're going to prioritize the rest of the money on pitching, so I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, too. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Chris Bryant's definitely a name that Mets fans are going to love if he does sign with them, but I think another team is going to give him the money that he wants, and he's not going back to the Giants, ladies and gentlemen. So if you're a Giant fan, start crying. It's not happening. So I'm going to sell it. All right, one more. So with DeAndre Hopkins now injured, out for the rest of the regular season, we'll see into the playoffs. The Cardinals will bring back Larry Fitzgerald. I'll sell it. I know the fans want it, and I've heard the rumor that he's willing to come back for cheap and be a veteran's minimum, but I don't know if Cliff Kingsbury wants him. I think if he would have wanted him, he would have not cut him initially in training camp, so I'll sell it. I'm buying it. I think Larry Fitzgerald wants to win a championship. This could be a great chance. This is a guy that deserves it. He is an Arizona stud. He's one of the greatest wide receivers of all time, maybe top three. I think they'll give him a chance. If he wants to come back, he'll take the veterans minimal, and he'll just come back and play. So I am going to buy him. I hope you're absolutely right, because he is, I think, of any NFL player, he's the most deserving of a championship with all his He deserves it. One of the best playoff players of all time, too. He's a special player, too. Very, very nice guy, too. I never got a chance to meet him. I'm looking forward to eventually meeting him. Maybe we'll meet him if we go to the Super Bowl this year to do Radio Row. He might be there. So I'm hoping maybe if Arizona's there in the Super Bowl, he'll definitely be there. So we'll see. But thank you to all the fans. Merry Christmas to all you guys. And a happy new year. Stay safe. We will be back next week. Definitely for New Year's, New Year's Day. But we're very happy to be here to be the entertainment for you guys, sports entertainment here on Long Island. Speedy, you have anything to say before we go? Yes, hope everybody had a Merry Christmas, have an amazing holiday season, stay safe out there. Just hope you really enjoyed this whole Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and even into New Year's. Have an amazing holiday season, everybody. I really feel bad with this COVID situation. I cancel a lot of things, but stay safe, fans. Stay safe for all you and your family members. Enjoy it. Eat a lot of food. Enjoy the gifts. Enjoy just being family. We will talk to you next week. We'll probably have more guests and fun entertainment for you guys, but we're very happy to entertain you guys. All you guys, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Talk to you next week. Good night, everybody.